I mean, for me, it is the data that we built up on this technology and the drug candidates. Um, we've also recorded the mechanism of action, novel mechanism of action of immune cells. Um, so I'm very invested in this project and we would like to see it deliver uh, the clinical benefits that I, to the bones, know <laughs> will work. Welcome to this episode of Speed of Life. This is a podcast series focusing on innovations accelerating towards better health. My name is Björn and I am co-hosting this episode together with my colleague Diana. A very warm welcome to you. Let's jump into this episode. Uh, hello everybody, uh, welcome to this podcast. Today we have uh, three co-founders of Ilia Pharma with us today. We have Evelina Vågesjö, Mia Philipsson and Stefan Ros. Would you please introduce yourselves to us? Who would like to start? Stefan, maybe you? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. So I'm a microbiologist. So I've been working with lactobacilli for uh, more than 25 years. And uh, I'm today a young professor at SLU here in Uppsala, but also I'm an em- employee of BioGaia as another company. But I have, of, of course, a very strong connection to Ilia Farm as well. Yeah, I'm Evelina. Um, my background is in biomedicine and physiology, and I'm the CEO of this company currently. Mm, and I'm Mia. I'm a professor in physiology at Uppsala University. And I'm also the co-director of SciLife Lab. And I'm a collaborator uh, with Stefan since uh, I was a PhD student. Yeah, some years ago. (laughs) (laughs) No. No? No, no. Uh, great, nice to have you here. Uh, one of the main purposes of this podcast is to is to understand the development of the company, but also the people and companies behind it. Uh, so let me start with that part, the people, you. Uh, why are you doing this? Because we had such a brilliant idea a couple of years back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how come you have come this far? I mean, for me, it is the data that we built up on this technology and the drug candidates. Um, We've also recorded the mechanism of action, novel mechanism of action of immune cells. Um, So I'm very invested in this project and we would like to see it deliver uh, the clinical benefits that I, to the bones, know (laughs) will work. And how has your backgrounds and experience contributed to the development of the company? You said you have worked together not many years. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's fundamental that we have Stefan in here as the microbiologist and the uh, expert on the, the wild type bacteria. And then uh, we have the physiology and the immunology part. And it's also extremely timely as immunotherapies are uh, evolving. Uh, so we are trying to, um, or we are realizing that immune cells do so many different things. And 
Thus, we tried to make them work for us. And then Evelina came in as a very ambitious PhD student. That was, of course, key to drive this project as far as it has gotten. I'm a bit curious when you say that uh, it's very timely due to the um, uh, momentum of immunotherapies. Uh, what kind of benefits do you have? That Because, I mean, uh, many immunotherapies are also within, for instance, oncology and cancer care. Mm. Um, um, so it's timely in that sense that we understand that one can actually ask the immune cells to work for you when treating diseases. Mm. And of course, in oncology, it's about uh, immune cells killing tumors. Mm. And uh, now the, the knowledge is uh, more focused on what immune cells do other than killing um, tumors or bacteria or viruses and so on, what they do to maintain homeostasis. Uh, in between infections or in between tumor diseases. And those actions of those immune cells is something that we think we could utilize when treating so many different diseases. I think we also combine two worlds here. I mean, I come from the microbiome world where we try to understand how the, the, the wild type, how bacteria living in the gut could have a positive impact. But also in the biotechnological world where we can genetically modify and have I mean, gene therapies via those bacteria. So I think it's a very timely combination of those two areas. Yeah, and for me, if I can add, I mean, I've also seen during these three last years, the regulatory framework actually also evolving to allow for this type of advanced therapies. So I think it's very timely in that sense. And there are also uh, programs with both EMA and FDA to facilitate exactly these types of novel drug candidates. Uh, Evelina, uh, as we me you, you mentioned before, you're also one of the founders, but you became the CEO. How come it was you who took that role? Well, I'm uh, more driven by uh, working against goals and driving projects forward. Um, I'm also very interested in... I'm a competitive person and um, I mean I of course want this company and this technology to develop faster, better, safer and cheaper than other companies. Then we know that will be a successful... We will be successful in evaluating the clinical relevance properly. And what has it meant for the company having you as the CEO? Maybe Mia and Stefan would like to <laughs> answer that <laughs> for you. Uh, it's meant everything, I think. I mean, Evelina has the, uh, the scientific knowledge of the mechanism of action and the conviction that this can indeed make a big difference to the bones, as she said, <laughs> as well as she has the, uh, the brilliant business mind. I can just agree. I mean, I think that has been fundamental. I mean, this combination of having the scientific background, which is not, it's, it's a very complicated, complex area. So I think that has been so important. And Evelina also has a very, uh, aside, she's, she only wants to work with the best. So we always uh, made sure to have the best, the best um, advisors. I mean, this is, not a, this is not a trivial thing. So we have been helped by a lot of very good people along the way. Yeah, but it, I think it's been very clear also when we have, have had to change advisors. Mm -hmm. mm, okay. And uh, I don't like to lose time. <laughs> I like to, to um, that we always uh, move one step, a big step forward. 
yeah. in everything we do. Mm-hmm. Do you also see um, the value of having both worlds in you, both being the business person, but also coming from a scientific background? Uh, is it as important today as it was a few years ago? I think it's absolutely important. And I think that this is what we see in advanced therapy companies. Um, mostly, um, I mean, having the science background is is key. And sometimes people have trained at uh, VC funds in big pharma, in strategy or financing. And that's when you can, I think, combine and navigate and understand what you need to do in each phase of development for the company. Great. And what about the name Ilia Pharma? Where does it come from? Well, well the first option we had was Speed Heal. <laughs> and that wasn't available because it was a Russian product to protect high heels against rain. <laughs> <laughs> But they had misspelled heel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we went uh, through a long list of names, mm. but Ilya is, of course, the uh, name of Ilya Meshnikov, who was the uh, Nobel laureate um, from 1908, awarded for his uh, recognition of macrophages as an immune cell. But he, I mean, when we that came up as a suggestion, I was convinced it was because he's also the father of probiotics. How I mean that having a bacteria coming, we eating bacteria that could have a health benefit. So that was my my view of Ilya Metchnikov. I think th- that is a brilliant name in that way. Both the bacteria, the probiotics, and the macrophages interaction with the immune system. Yeah, I think so. Too. And when we go to um Uh, conferences and meet other companies in the microbiome space they have the picture of Ilya Meshnikov <laughs> at their first page but we claim the name <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be first now we're very eager to hear about the science uh, and I know Evelina you are very eager uh, talking about it um, and uh, as an isi- initial part please tell me about uh, the science behind the project but to somebody who's not familiar with the industry. So in a in a short and uh, easily understood way. I mean, I think it has uh, different backgrounds as we are three different scientists. But for me, it was we had the first findings where we identified uh, an immune cell that could um, regulate blood flow in injured tissue. And this has was very new and novel 10 years ago. Um, Now we know that immune cells play a role in physiology. And then we also showed that we could amplify these effects by overexpressing a chemokine. Uh, So um, protein used by the body um, when there is an injury or ischemia. And this uh, science story was published yesterday in Circulation Research. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, then of course we had we had we could show this benefits of then improved healing of ischemic disease via this uh, mechanism of action of the immune cells so we had a number of uh, meetings trying to figure out how this could deliver clinical benefits how could we do product development of this it would have been gene therapy which was kind of early 10 years ago 
And then we met with vascular surgeons and they came back with the question, can't you just add this to wounds? And then as a serendipity and depending on the environment that we were in, we got the idea of what if we delivered this therapeutic proteins from lactic acid bacteria. Then we could do a scalable product that we could give to wounds, not only in skin, but also mucosal surfaces. One good thing with lactobacilli uh, as we work with is that they are very, very safe. We can eat them in huge quantities. And if I should choose one bacteria to put in a wound, I should choose the lactobacilli. So I think that was uh, in that way. Uh, and they also very kind of, uh, they have developed ways to interact with, with our immune system as well. So they have a friendly way to interact and they do it very actively. Mm. And I understood that you successfully have taken the, your drug candidate ILP-100 through the first clinical phase and you are moving on to the second clinical phase. Um, what, what patient groups are you looking at? So we developed the ILP-100, which is a lactobacillus reuteri from a bacterial strain that uh, Stefan has uh, characterized. Mm. So we have uh, quite an advantage in knowing a lot about the strain. And then we have uh, overexpressed a chemokine called CXCL12, which is the mo most well-described chemokine. Mm. So we found a space in how we solve the genetic engineering. And this is what we have... Um, been presenting and worked with the regulators on how to take this to a drug candidate. And uh, we currently successfully completed a first in human trial in healthy volunteers where we induced wounds um, and then treated them. Mm. And there we showed on average a six day faster uh, healing of the wounds in these healthy volunteers, which is very unusual to show in healthy people. And uh, now we're moving on to, we have a fully funded study from the European Innovation Council in problematic and chronic wounds in patients with diabetes. Mm, okay. And then we have uh, another study that we are working on, uh, which is treatment of post-surgical wounds in patients with pre-diabetes and diabetes, where we know that the time to healing is delayed weeks to months following surgery. Okay. So... Is there a deeper answer to why you did choose this kind of patient group? Uh, I mean, for me, is how we understand the changes in the microcirculation uh, of these patients compared to healthy um, subjects that I think makes um, sense. And there is also a huge unmet medical need in this population. Uh, one is that there are an increasing prevalence of diabetes, of course. And uh, also uh, the whole antibiotic resistance um, problem that we have to face. So healing these wounds faster and reducing the number of complications will have a huge impact in this group. And then uh, we actually also developed the ILP-100 as an oral formulation where we think it could be an, um, a space and an unmet medical need in the treatment of inflammatory bowel disease. Great. So, um, how does it work for wounds in the GI tract? I'll leave this to, to you two, I think. <laughs> Who wants to answer that? So, you will yeah. get different answers. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> But maybe we should start with my perspective. Uh, yes, I mean, of why do you get I mean, wounds in the, in the intestine? It's, it's about inflammation that is 
it's a kind of it's a growing problem uh, with severe inf- inflammation in, in the intestine, and that is because of we have a dysbiosis and uh, we have the wrong bacteria with the wrong activities uh, colonizing the intestine. That's at least one of the explanations for why you have inflammatory bowel disease. And uh, I mean, to find ways to correct that, that's what we work with, isn't it? I mean, you can do that via maybe the diet or, I mean, or, or administer bacteria, wild type bacteria that could have such a benefit to give, give kind of a decrease that problem. Mm. And that is um, what the, the normal type of the traditional probiotics work with today. So now I'm curious to hear Mia's answer mm. to the same question. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Um, so I've always been a bit skeptical. <laughs> mm, I know that. <laughs> That's good. Because I think it's uh, it's so. I have problems um, envisioning how a drop in that ocean <laughs> can mm. have a, a physiological effect. When yeah. you take uh, peroral bacteria, that most of them will probably die on the way to the to the colon, the large intestine. Mm. And yet you can have a physiological effect or you can have a difference in a disease outcome. How, how can it work? I mean, there's so many bacteria in the colon. There are more bacteria there than you have cells in the rest of your body. Yeah, I think this is one of the big mysteries, I think. Yeah. It has been. It has been. Mm. And, and yet, mm. uh, I mean, early days when we started collaborating, uh, we could detect the difference. We induced inflammatory bowel disease in uh, rats or mice, and then we gave uh, Stefan's bacteria to these. Um, no, we gave the bacteria first, and then we induced the inflammatory bowel disease, and they didn't become a sick. So there was a, an effect, and yet I could not explain that, which is very disturbing. Mm, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be skeptical. <laughs> Yes, and of course it's more than dysbiosis, it's also the entire immune component. So we have like a genetic uh, susceptibility of certain persons. That's probably why they are more sensitive to the dysbiosis. Mm. Um, But being skeptical is good, as you say, because then we haven't uh, given up on trying to understand why we could Mm. detect differences. And we we are... on something now. I think we have found the, the mm. reasons as to why we can actually have an effect by probiotics, even though they don't colonize in their new host. Uh, maybe extent. that's good as well. Yeah. The regulatory, the, it's the, great. The, that's great <laughs> from that perspective, but maybe that they are, in a way, intestinal bacteria coming in, but not really become part of the system. Mm. Mm. That's so, maybe that what we need. We, we should maybe get new f- foreign things coming in and, and in a way not doing harm, but triggering the, the right functions mm. in the intestine. Mm. So what are the current available treatments for this today? For inflammatory bowel disease? Yeah. Well, we have biologic treatments in mm. the shape of anti-TNF and monoclonal antibodies, uh, but historically it's been steroids. Okay instance like t- limiting inflammation um, yeah, in anti-inflammatory drugs of different characteristics mm. so when can the first test in patients be done I mean for Ilya Pharma I mean so what um, Mia and Stefan has shown the mechanism of action with the wild type bacteria that we uh, use in the ILP 100 mm. and very elegantly outlined that the 
site of communication with the immune system is in the payer's patches. Which are lymphoid tissues of the small intestine. Yeah. Which has which are not populated by as many bacteria. So I mean just there I start to understand how the right bacteria can get to the right spot to actually have an effect. And taking this back to the drug development with the CXCL12 expressing lactobacillus, we have showed that we can amplify all these beneficial effects through this mechanism of action if we add the CXCL12 expression. And the CXCL12 amplifies the beneficial effects by further influencing the immune cells in this lymphoid tissue in the distal part of the small intestine. And uh, what we've done so far is to uh, outline the mechanism of action for the ILP100. We've done some early pharmacokinetics, which means uh, testing if it spreads to the um, uh, circulation, for instance, where we've also proven that it's a very safe um, a drug candidate. And we are currently doing formulation development for our oral product, and we have um, we are manufacturing our large non-GMP batch at the moment, uh, and we will test this in a repeated dose tox study in rabbits in Q3 this year. And this tox study we've designed to cover all um, indications where you take an oral treatment, so it's not only specific to inflammatory bowel disease. Mm. So how do you see the bridging of the mechanism of action that you have proven in mice? Uh, is the immune system and interactions in the gut flora and the immune system similar in humans? So first we'll um, show this then in the non-rodent model of okay. rabbits. Mm. So they are apparently not rodents, they only have the teeth of rodents. <laughs> <laughs> we had okay. a long meeting about. <laughs> My daughter has told me that for years. <laughs> Yeah. I have learned that now as well. I would never say it again. So it's very important to do the drug development in rodents, non-rodents and then humans. Mm. And then of course a different species you can choose for your non-rodent trials. Mm. And uh, for me, rabbits, we can afford the highest number of rabbits mm. uh, than answering more of questions. Okay, sure. And uh, we will have put in some strategic assessments to align the mechanism of action with what we've seen before. Mm. And that's the bridging to uh, um, the human disease. So for our topical programming wounds, we took this drug candidate from uh, animal studies to first dose in humans in 16 months. For the GI um, project, we know that we can do this as well. We are a company in high growth at the moment. We have many activities. So for the GI project, uh, we have a small grant from the BioX supporting these early, very important um, activities. And it's also giving us a reason to invest in these studies already now early on. And um, we are looking for a partner to this project to further accelerate time to the first uh, clinical trial in patients. This will be a clinical trial in patients for the first time. Uh, these are very interesting and quite uh, uh, long discussions we have with a couple of uh, medium and big pharma at the moment. And in the meantime, we are keep investing in this trial and we can take this project to first clinical trial within 18 months from now ourselves. Sounds great. 
You've been along as a company for four or five years now. Uh, how has the company developed in these years? You already talked about it a bit, mm. but <laughs> I think that we have worked with this for 10 years. And when we got uh, positive feedback on our first patent application, we decided to found the company uh, and put the data and IP into the company. So the first year it was um, a company on paper. Um, and now we're currently engaging around 40 people on a weekly basis, down to 20 full-time equivalents. We also have um, uh, involved involved uh, 30 subcontractors into our drug development for the product and the clinical studies. And uh, we don't see any stop to this, I think. <laughs> uh, the, the limitation is, of course, resources and how to manage all these projects. We currently have um, uh, programs then in skin wounds and in inflammatory bowel disease. But we've also started to understand that this is a technology platform. And now, with all the de-risking we have done for the manufacturing of the drug candidates, um, we can see multiple new uh, uh, indications relevant to go into. And for us, it's more to understand which, uh, which projects to run which year and which are the most important and valuable milestones for us to complete each year. It sounds promising. Uh, one of the things that we see differs between organization and that we see is uh, more and more important uh, to attract future employees, talents and even investors is a company's culture. Can you tell us about your company's visions? I don't know, we see it as a very evolving development project. So I think with the people also at the... Our partners and subcontracts is more than 100 people that now have very high knowledge about the ILP 100 and drug development. So it's really hard to understand where the organization starts and ends. So I see it as a global growing development project. Yeah. And why do you think uh, people uh, are attracted at working at Ilia Pharma or invest at Ilia Pharma? I think it's because it's such a cool technology <laughs> and it's, as I said before, it's extremely timely as we are realizing what immune cells do and also that Ilia Pharma has proven that it's uh, not impossible. I remember the first meeting we had with the regulatory um, bodies, we were so afraid that they would laugh at us. Mm going there uh, to ask them if we could uh, develop a genetically modified bacteria as a drug. I mean, people wouldn't even eat genetically modified rice at that moment. <laughs> and we wanted it to, to become a drug. But, uh, yeah. So how was the response? Oh, they were so good. I mean, they just said yes. And we're like, what? <laughs> no, they not, didn't not only say yes, they also mm. said, yeah, you have to be creative when evaluating the effect, because this is a completely new uh, mode of action. And then you should be uh, also evaluating effect by new technologies. And I, this we've really done. Yeah. Um, and we really combine 
the scientific view with the sort of industry standard methods view. So, and we were also not only allowed, but also encouraged by the regulators to do this. Mm -hmm. We're also encouraged by the regulators to, uh, we are allowed to collect a bit more samples than for a classic uh, drug uh, development, which means that we have, um, now we also have the infrastructure with biobanks and so on in place. So I just see how much more you can do uh, with this type of project than a classic uh, small molecule or an antibody, for instance. I'm a bit curious. Um, this might be a strange question, but uh, in terms of the investors for your company, how much do they understand of the science that you do? I think you should ask them. <laughs> <laughs> No, but some, of course, uh, understands in detail. Mm. Some are very skilled in understanding the field, cell and gene therapy, mm. and also the stage of development in the company. Mm. So we've had very active discussions with our current and new investors, and also for our sake, to understand where the risks are compared to a classic biologics uh, development project. Mm. So what we see is that for cell and gene therapy, it's more case-by-case case assessment, both from regulators, but also from investors. Mm. Whilst uh, in biologics, it's more generic process. And what we see is that uh, investment in cell and gene therapy are doubling uh, each year, even during this pandemic. And we also see that the um, uh, learning curve and appetite for these projects is, are um, increasing. Uh, with investors as well. And where do you see yourself in five years? Well, in five years, I hope that our lead program have uh, been approved, which will be the first ever approved uh, genetically modified bacteria as a drug. And in we, the world? In the world. <laughs> and uh, of course, we would like to, I mean, I look forward to understanding how much clinical value it actually delivers so that it can only be the sort of proof of concept on after the market approval. And we take care not only to measure time to wound healing in these patients, we also measure, for instance, amputation rate, mortality, as well as use of antibiotics. So we think it's a very important thing to also collect data on the use of antibiotics. This is nothing that is... Um, paid extra for or taken into account in choosing drug candidates today, but in five years we absolutely think it will be. Uh, we also collect data on um, uh, how much healthcare these patients use in standard of care or with our treatment. Fantastic. Uh, so far we will learn a lot about you, your innovation and your backgrounds and the science of the project. What are you most proud of having achieved? Maybe all of you could answer that question. Well, as a scientist, I'm very proud that, uh, the, you know, when you write a, a grant proposal, the aim is always to, uh, to create a new drug to treat disease. No matter how preclinic, how far you are from the clinic. And I'm, I'm very proud that I have shown that it's possible. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't have to take uh, too many years. It doesn't have to take 
extreme amount of money. It just has it, it takes a really good idea and then uh, hard work. So of that I'm very proud. Now, but, but starting with the ideas we had from the beginning many, many years ago, when I started to work with Lactobacilla, that was not genetically modified. Uh, but then to combine it with the ideas we have to how we can we improve bacteria and take that into a common product where we combine those two things. And that we also need a lot of time for those activities. It's a long learning and also a lot of activities. And I think we have done that in a very, very mm. good way. Yeah, I mean, for me, it is to build everything scalable, and that is we have a scalable, very scalable technology platform. The scalability in the manufacturing of the drug candidates is um, extremely um, good compared to other biologics, and now we've spent quite some years on scalability of the company and the team to facilitate late-stage clinical trials that I'm very proud of. And we've done this very cost efficiently. We've raised 18 million euros to date. Uh, so we've come very far uh, and proven clinical um, relevance very quick compared to other SME companies. And if you were to restart the, the journey, is there anything you would have done differently with the knowledge you have today? I mean, for me, is not to lose time with the sort of generic advice uh, from either if it is in the commercial journey or in the drug development. You always have to be specific to uh, the case or the drug substance you're working on. Mm. But yeah, no, I don't regret anything. I think uh, I don't. I think we have really been listening to the best advices, and the, if we didn't like the advice, we thought it wasn't good enough, and <laughs> we went yeah. another. So I, I don't think mm. we have been wasting too much time there. Um, A few months, maybe. <laughs> at max. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I can't see anything that we should have done in a different way, no. Mm, that's good. Mm. And I think one of my last questions is, we are coming from the support system, innovation mm. support system, and we think that there are advantages of uh, being close to these and having an ecosystem. Uh, what do you say about that? Uh, do you see uh, what kind of advantages do you see of being part of the ecosystem here in Uppsala, where you are situated? I mean, I received a lot of training, of course, in all the different programs, and we also got help to to start the company with the right expectations. We knew there would be a hard work, we knew there would be a growing organization, um, that we had to raise uh, private funding, for instance. So that is one key thing, I think. So starting with the right expectations. And then I also would really like to highlight um, the TESTA center here at Cytiva, where we have uh, de-risked all our drug development significantly by running um, many of our sort of manufacturing processes ourselves and building data ourselves. And we have run our GMP process, 
ourselves in-house before doing the tech transfer. So that has given us a very strong position against the manufacturers, which is extremely important now as we're producing our phase two batch, which is actually the final product. Apart from uh, from um, that example, which is a good example, of course, with Tesla Center, do you see that you could benefit from working more closely together with other companies or larger companies or uh, other academic groups or? I think you learn from meeting uh, many different companies because everyone is extremely focused on their product development and their idea, and sometimes there are. Um, uh, you can share your contacts or share your investor contacts, those that declined on you because they are focused in another space, mm. then that I think is very important. Um, I think it's very important to understand that some parts of scaling a company are generic. Sure. You run into sort of the, the same problems that you need to solve for continuing to grow. Um, and then it's very I think helpful to be able to share some ideas around that with other companies. And one thing that I, if I can, uh, I mean, we've been to how many different types of hearings have we been through for all these different grants and accelerators mm. that we've been in. Mm. And sometimes I always made like excuses. Hi, me and Stefan. Now we have this presentation. They're like, what, what is it for? And who are these people? And then I could never really explain that, but you always showed up. And now we see that the, <laughs> the benefits we gain from them is not from each presentation, but it is from having these consistently over time. Mm. So thank you. <laughs> I can add one thing also mm. that I came to think about, and that is that early on <clears throat> when, when, we, when this idea was first um, when we started to play with the idea to actually take this towards the clinic. Um, as a preclinical scientist, uh, me and Stefan, I mean, we didn't have the right contacts. We, had the, uh, we, had, we knew the science behind it and we had scientific collaborators that we could, of course, um, um, discuss with. But I think that the infrastructure around us as scientists is important so that I could push <laughs> Evelina towards other people that could help her where my knowledge or my contacts ended. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's, it's important that you as a scientist can remain as a scientist and not ha you, don't, you shouldn't be able to, to um, span all different sectors. And I think Ilja Farma has done that very good uh, to collaborate with the uh, academic groups as well, mm. both at Uppsala University and SLU. Mm. And it's a mutual interaction where both parts benefit. I th I'm really happy for that as well. And I think that that's key in how we built that strategic, because in this type of new technology development, it's important. Mm. Yeah. And what do you see could add more to the ecosystem? Is there anything lacking? <laughs> I think it's a constant uh, friction between the sectors because there will always be, um, I mean, just the, uh, the lingo is so uh, different. So you have to be exposed to each other. So one shouldn't avoid the friction, one should like <laughs> embrace it. 
But I think it's uh, it's a bit naive to think that you can develop some kind of um, friction-free where everything is just running smooth through some, uh, I don't know, business development channels mm -hmm. uh, and still being super scientifically creative. <laughs> I don't think, uh, I don't know. This is uh, something that we are discussing a lot also within SciLife Lab and Uppsala University because uh, also on, on request from the government this uh, we are expected to uh, formulate businesses as scientists um so i think the short answer keep on exposing everyone to both sides and i think uh, role models like evelina being a full-blown scientist starting a company driving that is uh, is she's a good role model we agree <laughs> <laughs> and i know that you are uh, already know that you are helping others uh, supporting others could you mention some way that you do that adding to the ecosystem by yourselves yeah i think we are um we have uh, enjoyed uh, quite a number of accelerators, but also grant funding for this. So we raised in total 7 million euros in grants. Um, and the largest programs are the Horizon 2020, that is now called the EIC Accelerator. And we are one of the very few companies that have been successful in reaching or obtaining two of these programs. So I'm in contact with some other SMEs that I know have a perfect fit for these uh, programs and try to share what we think has been to our advantage mm. um, in highlighting. Um, and uh, in general, we're just cheering on everyone <laughs> that, uh, that have their idea either to, to go test it and see if it works or drop it and do something else. Yeah. It's great to hear that the system works. Mm and does the job uh, that does its job uh, thank you it has been uh, great talking to you and learning about Ilya Pharma and also about the three of you uh, I'm very thankful for today's talk yeah thanks a lot and, and good luck with everything mm. Mm. Thank, you. thank you thank you thank you thank you so This podcast series is developed and produced by Stunz Life Science. Stunz is a foundation creating sustainable growth through private-public collaborations. Thank you for listening and for more information about this podcast and as well as about Stunz, please visit our website lifescience.stunz.se and follow us on LinkedIn where you will find us under our name. <laughs>